you. What about this one for my nephew? A superb choice. Oh, great. Yeah, provided he has already read Infinite Crisis and 52 and is familiar with the reestablishment of the DC multiverse. Who am I? Cypher? The gayest X-Man? I recently read this novel called Watchmen. I've never read a comic book like this. I used to read Betty comics, but that's it. I've never read, like, real, real comic books. This worked my out. Excellent! Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. And this week we are making you read Moon Knight for the first time. Oh, I hated it. What a terrible experience. A terrible experience by terrible creators. What have I done to you? Yeah, you you picked the worst stuff. Specifically this week, we are discussing the original Moon Knight solo series from the 1980s. We are reading issues number 14 and 24. These are cover dated for December 1981 and October 1982. In terms of creative team here, we have Doug Minch as the writer and Bill Sienkiewicz as the artist on both of these issues as well as Christy Scheel is the colorist. For issue number 14 on letters, we have Janice Chang. And on issue number 24, we have Joe Rosen on letters. Editor Denny O'Neill. Jim Shooter's time as editor-in-chief. And yeah, Moon Knight. You said that you had never read an actual Moon Knight solo story mostly seen him in Ultimate Spider-Man, but you saw a bit of the beginning of the TV show, right? I, I made it through two episodes before I couldn't handle it anymore. Was it bad, or...? Yeah, it was bad. It, I was just like, what is happening? Why is this here? Um, the, the, the show just makes me think that Oscar Isaac is cursed when it comes to superhero projects. He keeps doing things where you're like, this should work, right? And then it doesn't on any level. And I just feel bad for the guy. <laughs> after X-Men Apocalypse, which, like, after Days of Future Past, that felt like I was excited about X-Men Apocalypse. No, it wasn't even good on a, like, Fox X-Men level. Yeah. The Moon Knight TV show came out quite a bit of a ways into when I had stopped following the MCU, so I also have not seen it. But I have read a lot of Moon Knight. Not, like, literally every single appearance, but probably at least half of his solo books. And he's my favorite Marvel property other than the X-Men. I think safe to say he's my favorite like, solo superhero character, period. The only real close competition would be Martian Manhunter, who has, like, four books yeah. <laughs> compared to how much way more Moon Knight has. And I figured for your first time, we should do classic Moon Knight, the 80s stuff, because even the later Moon Knight that's good is always mentioning it in some way. Often, frequently, it's in terms of Moon Knight just having, like, pissed off all his friends so that they've left him. So now you at least get to meet some of those friends and know who you would be talking about. Yeah, Moon Knight seems to me to be a lot like Daredevil in that there's never really been a bad, like, an extended run of bad Daredevil comics. There's never been an extended chunk of Moon Knight that's bad. Like, there's the occasional bad story here and there when it comes to Daredevil, but, like, if you look at every major Daredevil run of the past 20 years, they're all great. Yeah, and Moon Knight is the same. Yeah. All of the solo stuff that I've read, I've liked. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the early 90s stuff was bad, but I haven't read it, and it's not particularly notable. But for now, yeah, this is Minshin Sienkiewicz, and... I think it's safe to say that Sienkiewicz is one of our favorite comic creators who we had not yet talked about on the show. Yeah, somehow we haven't done anything from his New Mutants run, despite the sheer amount of, like, X-Men shit we've talked about. It's ridiculous. 
Yeah. But we get to talk about them today and specifically picking issues for us to read. These were the first ones that came to mind. Listeners, as you noticed, these are not two consecutive issues in publication. The second is essentially a follow-up from about a year later. Because issue 14 is the introduction of Stained Glass Scarlet. And 24 is then her second appearance. With her not having appeared in the interim between. And much as I love Moon Knight and think most of the books are pretty great. The character's main weakness for me is that I think a lot of the recurring villains just kind of suck. Or are just bland. And I think Stained Glass Scarlet is the best one. So I figured that would be a high point for you to see. In going with the 80s Moon Knight stuff, you get to see just a little bit of here is rich man Stephen Grant living with love interest Marlene. He has a pilot slash general helper guy named Frenchie. That was very weird to me. I was like, who the hell is this? Because I knew Marlene. So, like, my ultimate Moon Knight experience actually does involve Marlene, and it involves Stephen Grant. Like, the character, generally speaking, is unchanged in Ultimate Spider-Man. So there's, like, you get some scenes with him and Marlene in that book. And then I'm like, Frenchie? Yeah. He has... This extended supporting cast in the 80s with Marlene and Frenchie. And then there's a handful more that you don't get in this series, but it's essentially just some, like, people around town who he frequently talks to and sometimes will get, like, the ward on the street from type of deal. And beyond that, there's also the whole Moon Knight with his multiple personalities of, like, the cab driver versus the mercenary versus the rich man. But in these issues, you really just see him as Moon Knight versus Stephen Grant. And, like, Marlene drops a line about him being an ex-mercenary, but these don't really delve all that much into the split personality, pseudo-DID type stuff, because there's a lot to accomplish otherwise, but... Yeah, I was expecting more of that, because, like, the, the the three things I know about Moon Knight is, like, he wears white, he has that cape, and there's a lot of people in there. Yeah, but with that said, I hope, I assume that jumping in, this wasn't too confusing of a spot to just make you read. I mean, essentially, it's like, oh, it's it's white Batman, and his girlfriend... And his French version of Alfred. <laughs> yeah. This could be an 80s Batman comic. It's not that dissimilar in terms of, like, the tone or the sort of general character archetypes. Because, especially since this doesn't dive into his, like, pseudo-DID, like, comic book understanding of that from the 1980s situation. <laughs> yeah. Part of what makes the character work and cool, I guess, is also just how much he feels like Batman. It's Batman with more specific, non-implied, but just canonical Jewish roots and also Egyptian trappings, so... I think the canes, which Batman's mother is from, are specifically Jewish now. But the fact that I have to think about it, whereas I wouldn't actually... That's another thing I do know about Moon Knight... That said, the movies, the most, the, the Pattinson one made uh, Martha and Arkham rather than a cane, so I guess Pattinson isn't half Jewish. <laughs> yeah. But, listeners, if you don't know, the deal with Moon Knight, just to surmise, is he is this ex mercenary who was quote unquote reborn under a statue of Khonshu, the Egyptian deity. And now he runs around in a shiny, white, silvery suit to protect those who are out at night. And has multiple personalities. Marlene is having to frequently put up with him changing personalities from the rich boyfriend to 
like a taxi driver, etc. So from his inception, there's always just sort of a lot going on there. And in these issues specifically, we get to see how Sienkiewicz, who visually did a lot to define the character and also whose career was largely defined by this and how his style shifts over the course of it because the difference between issue 14 and 24 is so bold in terms of just like you know if you're familiar enough with Sienkiewicz's work then you can kind of recognize it in the earlier issue But issue 24, he goes more fully all out and it feels more fully formed and akin to what you would expect from the Demon Bear saga or just other later work. But as opposed to just actually dive into these issues themselves, more specifically in contents, issue 14 opens with this splash page of a replication of a stained glass window you know, like from a church, and it is this fractured image of a red-headed woman in a scarlet dress holding a smoking gun next to Moon Knight with the glass having been arranged in such a way that, like, there's a darkened hole mimicking the bullet wound in his chest, and, like, the glass shatters out and ripples from that point, and... I just think it's neat. What about you? This is the thing that feels the most Sienkiewicz-y in this first issue in terms of, like, his later style. Like, the line works recognizably Sienkiewicz, but he's doing something much more house style in terms of his layouts and the way that he's stylizing these characters. Uh, This is something that I could see him doing in, like, his later work. It's great. I love the, um, the shape for her hair. And just, like, how strangely blocky it is looks great. That's, like, a really nice sort of stained glass touch. But also, like, again, a very Sienkiewicz, like, reducing something to its graphic shape sometimes approach. Yeah, it's like the stained glass motif just feels like a natural fit for Sienkiewicz's style already. So, naturally, the execution is really nice. And just to be clear as we're talking about it, the art in the first issue is good too. It's just that Sienkiewicz just gets more Sienkiewicz-y with time. The art in the first issue really strongly reminds me of Steve Ditko's work on Doctor Strange that we covered a while ago. I can see an element of that, and I can also see some specific faces in like dramatic reaction moments give me a feel of Neil Adams. Yeah, I think he's looking at Ditko, he's looking at Adams. The hands are much less expressive than Ditko would do, but in terms of, like, the panel layouts, it feels pretty Ditko to me. And yeah, the figures are definitely, like, Neil Adams, I can see that as being a big influence. A strong lineage to be drawing from. I mean, if you're gonna base your work off of any artist and use that while you're, like, figuring out your own style, those are some two good ones to pick. Yeah. After the... Beautiful splash page. Issue 14 plot-wise kicks off with this multi-page, a very quiet, still sequence in an abandoned church in which we see a woman who we will come to know as Scarlet, stained glass Scarlet, in a fittingly Scarlet dress, hair done up, flower in her hair, those, like, long, elegant gloves just looking straight out of a rich person's party. And it's just this moody sequence of her, like, sitting in the barely lit by candle flame attic of this church, drinking a glass of wine. She has a cat that hangs out with her. We see this stuff happening visually, but it's also largely sold, like, In the narration, like, these are very caption-heavy pages. This is very, very much being sold on the strength of the prose. You know, because, like, honestly, in these opening pages, it sort of feels like 
illustrated narrative to an extent that's sort of beyond the usual in terms of just like the wards sort of giving the central push to me more so than the arts, especially in terms of like a Sienkiewicz comic, but I'll just try and read a example for what I mean. But high above the corruption, just under the church's vaulted roof, in what was once the attic, there is a place of melancholy comfort, if not sanctuary. It is here that scarlet, stained glass scarlet, has lived for the past three years, quiet as a languid smoke, unknown by the crumbling world outside. She sips her bitter wine, staring only at the past. Her eyes are filled with dead days gone, haunted by them. It is a dangerous vision to possess. And as this is happening, the only ward bubbles that we get from Scarlet herself are a dark night gummage, so very dark, too dark. Gummage being her cat, which when I googled it, apparently was a cartoon cat. So... Like the equivalent of naming your cat Garfield. Pop culture-wise, we also get a John Lennon moment. Yeah. In which Marlene and Stephen Grant are sort of mourning John Lennon right after he died. But, I don't know. I really like this intro. What about you? It's very moody. I like the florid narration. It it sets the stage. It sets up the character. It's strange to me how the color of the narrative captions, and I'm looking at the original issue and it does it here too, the color in the narrative captions changes for the last, for like just one page. It's normally like a, a light orange and it turns to a bright yellow for one page and then goes back to the orange. Odd choice from the colorist there. I'm not sure what the color shift is about, yeah. I, I don't think it... The, it doesn't have any purpose, as far as I can tell. I think it's just maybe they, like, had some corrections on that page or something, and so it was the last one to be done, and maybe they've just forgotten what they did on the rest of the book. It's the only thing I can think of, but weird moment that stood out to me. Yeah, that's fair. In both cases, I think the colors look good backdrop-wise, like it doesn't make a big difference to me in terms of legibility. I honestly hadn't even clocked it until you mentioned it, but yeah, there is that inconsistency. I think the digital that I'm looking at makes it a bit more noticeable, especially since, like, I think that's between two ad pages and the physical you have there, so... Yeah, it's visually blocked off by an ad so that I'm not looking at it all at the same time. And the physical is also just much more faded to begin with. So on your little e-reader or whatever, there's a much brighter yellow that you're looking at than in my 40-year-old piece of newsprint over here. The newsprint looks nicer, though. It really does. It looks really good still. I don't know the science of printing methods, but it just looks really fucking good. After this, we get our first glimpse of Marlene and Steven just hanging out, trying to have a night off where Steven doesn't don the cowl and go fight crime, and they can just have fun together. Except, like we said, they end up just fucking crying over John Lennon, which was timely at the time. I like to think that despite the um, sliding time scale, this still happens, and there's just one night where they feel really sad about John Lennon dying over 30 years ago. Naturally, however, Superhero doesn't get a day off. The just constantly hooked up feed of the police radio goes off. Mark's just like, gotta go. And at the same time, we see that Scarlet is also listening to the same radio feed back in the castle. Not the castle. Back in the church. And so both of our principal figures here are separately going to converge upon the same point. They both wear cloaks, which is a nice visual sort of match. You've got the red and the white cloaks. Yeah. And like, 
there's a lot of heavy black on the pages that just makes it stand out all the more because Scarlet specifically, you know, when it's not too faded, it is legitimately a bold Scarlet and then like a bold, fully white long glove. So she always just stands out really well against the background. Meanwhile, Moon Knight has his consistently, how's it actually supposed to look? sort of look going on because most of it on the page is usually white with parts like inked in black and sometimes it's talked about as if it's black and silver sometimes it just seems white it just is what it is he refers to his little moon plane as a chopper which is very strange to me because it doesn't oh wait wait are there supposed to be helicopter blades coming off of the crescent shape? Is that what's happening there? I thought that was the moon. I'm honestly not sure. And then and then there's the lines right there. Yeah, the placement in both cages or Yeah, the placement in both cases. It is. It is. The center of gravity on that is way off. That would never work. Yeah. That looks hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the way it's rendered sometimes just sort of like blends in with the rest of the night but i guess that's intentional replicating just like the motion of the blades i suppose for context listeners moon knight has a helicopter which is basically sort of shaped like a comic book rocket ship stuck onto the middle of a crescent moon which is at the very back of the ship and then the crescent moon stretches up above and has helicopter blades on the peak of it. So the center of gravity on this thing is, like, really far off from where the blades are. So I don't know how this ship works. If you pretend that it's just a hovercraft, though, it's a pretty cool look. With regards to the night skies and some of our various points throughout, the halftone dots look really good to me. Like, I just always like... The way this looks is on the original paper. I don't know how well the digital reprints always preserve it, but at least in this panel that you have pulled up right now, it looks pretty good. Yeah, I love half-toning as a technique, and yeah, they they keep it in the digital recolors. I I think because that's also part of the inking here, because they're pure black in this case. I'm assuming that's partly why. Yeah, we're looking at this specific panel right now of just, like, the moon chopper against the night sky. It just looks really nice between these sort of just, like, black masses for some of it. And then the, like, alternating, like, black and blue halftone. And then the sort of more solid misty purple. And then the bright yellow of the moon. It's just very pretty. The moon is yellow a lot in these issues. Yeah. Which is funny because Moon Knight's right there and he's not wearing yellow. We do, though, get to see some of his characteristic, like, grabbing his cape by the sides of his hands to force it into a crescent moon shape while he's fighting. I mean, if you don't turn into your own logo when you're jumping around with your cape, how on earth are you a good Batman ripoff? Plot-wise, essentially... There is just this group of armed guys running around, causing havoc. One of them, the man in charge, is named Joe Fascinera, nicknamed frequently Mad Dog. And as Moon Knight is trying to follow these guys, figure out what the hell's going on, he also runs into Scarlet, who is following these guys, trying to figure out what's going on. And in a scene right before Moon Knight shows up, she tells Joe's underlings that they need to tell him that what he's looking for is in the church. And I think we can see where that's going. After Moon Knight whips the rest of the guys out of the way, he then makes his own way to the church before Joe can find it. And... Essentially, we get a multi-page expository flashback conversation 
in which Moon Knight essentially shows up and is just like, who the hell are you and what the hell is going on? And we then get Scarlet, revealed to be Scarlet Fascinera's backstory about having wanted to be either a nun or an actress, deciding to be a nun, and then realizing that she had become an actress because she was not content and she was just acting the role of a nun and just sort of feeling out of place when one night Vince Fascinera, this mafia guy, comes in begging for confession and forgiveness and all of that and it doesn't hold. He just goes back to the mob. We watch brief snippets of their time together as he is a jerkwad husband. She has their baby. He doesn't give a fuck about the baby or her. And essentially Vince ends up being killed after pulling a heist, the money to which is never recovered. And Joe at this time is a teenager who has grown up rude, misogynistic, selfish like his father has no respect for his mother leaves home and ultimately ends up getting arrested for having turned to crime and committing murder himself and essentially the action in this issue picks up with him having just escaped from jail and he is searching for the money that his father had stolen and yeah that was me doing a lot of exposition you have any thoughts on any of this before we keep jumping forward i really like the way that sinkevich panels these all of the uh panel borders are these thick scratchy wavy lines and there's like they're really like it's almost like dashed lines it's clearly a bunch of short strokes with a really thick pen to get like the ink the way that it is and I think that looks fantastic. That's that's my big note. The the story itself, I'm like, oh, okay, she got godfathered. You got good fellas. Yeah. Yeah, I think the note about the panel borders is probably my main note too. Just like it's a really effective, clear differentiation between the present day and the flashback events. And also it just looks really good. The colorist also only uses blue and orange tones during the uh, flashback sequences. Yeah. And it's just really well done. It's like, it's so effectively done that sometimes when I look at it, I don't even think about it. You know, it's like, when you point it out, it's so obvious and it's so clear. But like, when I was just sitting rereading the issue earlier... I didn't even have that conscious thought, you know? It's just so smoothly spun into and out of and just really, really good. Yeah, just effective storytelling and and it's just very skillfully done. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, once Scarlet is revealed to Moon Knight who she is, as she just keeps lamenting about how she wants to convince Joe to give up the mob life, but doesn't know that she'll be able to. Here comes Joe, guns a-blazing, yelling at his mom to tell him where the money is. He's threatening her, and also threatening Moon Knight. And basically just a fight breaks out. You know, like, Moon Knight manages to get Scarlet away from her son by using one of his little crescent darts to move the gun out of Joe's hand. And then Moon Knight and Joe are just going at it. At which point Joe pulls out a second gun from his boot, shoots Moon Knight in the chest, and we then get this great slowdown page of Scarlet whipping out her own gun and... Describing it doesn't do it justice, but it's just this slow down page in the action of Scarlet choosing to shoot her own son. And I'll just quote a bit of the narration again, starting with a quote from Joe as he just goes, Ma, you can't. And the narration goes, but she can and does, shrinking away from the horror and the thunder of the awful ability as we get like, 
in this sequence of panels, there's sort of like a grid that would be like two adjacent squares above two adjacent squares beneath them, except in the space of the top left, that is split into three of the heavily inked by like the shadow of the brow eye on Scarlet as she's crying, followed up by the barrel of the gun, and then followed up again by a panel that's just entirely the sound effect blam. And then Joe dies, pulls on the rope to the church bell as he's falling down. The bell clangs. The money sack falls down from where it was with the bell. And... It's just really good, you know, it ends the similarly to how it began with just more dramatic narration, talking about the blood spurt on the ground, and the wind moans across jagged, humming edges of glass, Moon Knight shivers, and Sister Scarlet, Stained Glass Scarlet, Scarlet Fascinera, Our Lady of Sorrow and Darkness, walks away into the abiding gloom never looking back, never once. And then we get this, I'm not, I can't even call it almost comical because I think it just is comical panel of Moon Knight in the dead body as faint yellow slivers in an all black inked panel of Moon Knight just saying, guns. Moon Knight doesn't like guns because he's Batman. Guns. I mean, I agree with Moon Knight. Also, she should have just shot him in the leg. That would have caused him enough pain that he wouldn't have been able to keep fighting. Just saying, lady. You didn't have to aim for the chest. Fire a couple rounds at his feet. You'll get one of them. I suppose, but... The story's good. (laughs) Yeah, the story's good. You know, there's no way she was thinking straight. But she aimed straight. And it's all so dramatic. And just really fucking good in my opinion, talking about it. I'm just sort of sitting here like, I feel like it's hard to just convey how good it is because a lot of it's in the narration and I'm not going to read every single caption, you know. And then there's the Sienkiewicz visuals, which again... It's that high melodrama. Yeah. And like, I think that the narrative style and Zinkevich's art just are working very well in concert together. It's all just, yeah, melodramatic is the word. Just, you mentioned The Godfather earlier, etc., etc. You know it is just like, it is a crime family plot. It is one we have seen before, but just all of the trappings are just so well done. Like, Scarlet herself, too, so much of it for me just comes down to the drama of this woman who lives in the attic of an abandoned church with her cat and spends all of her time walking around in this blood-red floor gown, like, floor-length gown, with her hair perpetually done up, just looking like the vision of glamour as she thinks about her son being in prison. I really like the way Moon Knight is just basically an observer to the story. It's it's like a good version of that really hilarious scene in the second Fantastic Beasts film where three characters in a row explain their complicated backstories while the supposed main character of the film stands to the side and says absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's a good note. I agree. This is very much Moon Knight as Observer to Scarlet's drama. And I think that makes sense for Moon Knight to be like that. Like, he's there to watch over people who travel by night, I think is the specifics of the phrase. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect. He showed up, he watched. He has an incredibly expressive mask underneath that cowl. Yeah, there's a few panels where, like, it feels, like, skin tight and just how deep in that mug we can see despite the cloth. I mean, Spider-Man's lenses move pretty far. They they sometimes seem to blink and he can wink with them. Like, it's fine, you know? It's storytelling conventions. 
Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right about just, like, Moon Knight as the Watcher figure. And, yeah, it's like, when thinking about superheroes, primary antagonists, you know, you generally think about just, like, the connections between them of, say... Professor X and Magneto get that whole backstory cobbled up after the fact, you know, Superman and Lex Luthor, etc., etc. And none of that's present here. Granted, creatively, they clearly were not trying to set her up as his arch nemesis because, again, part of it, as we'll get into of number 24 too, is the whole, like, morality question of what she's doing. But... It's just, like, a really good use of, like, him as the observer to another potential figure of, like, both victimhood and justice in the night. And thematically, I'm starting to get a bit into what's going on in number 24, so we can just dive into that. Which, this has... Would you like to describe the cover? (laughs) Uh, so it's one of those fantastic, like, color bleed images, um, because we have Scarlet here on, like, a red cover, and so wherever her dress intersects with where the cover is, there's no dividing line, and so the shape of the dress is implied by the positioning of her legs, and the stained glass window behind her, and, like, some jewelry that she's wearing that drapes along near where the dress is. Uh, We have her standing, uh, she's holding a crossbow, and she's standing above the dead body of a guy who's been crossbow bolted to death. Uh, And then Moon Knight is in the background at his most, like, visually abstract. He is a cloak above a black hole, and then he's got his hands and his little moon logo, and that's it. Uh, This is moved fully into, like, what I think of as Sienkiewicz art, as have the interiors. So in the less than a year in the 10 months, nine months, in the nine months between these two issues, Sienkiewicz has clearly just, like, figured out his style. And it's great. This cover rules. It's a drastic difference in time, stylistically, yeah. And this is one of my favorite Moon Knight covers. Probably is my favorite Moon Knight cover. It's just gorgeous to look at. Again, the... Red pops really well against the stained glass green and then the white of Moon Knight's cape. And this visually is, again, everything we were just talking about in terms of Scarlet having committed the action and Moon Knight is just off to the side watching. And then when you open it up, if you have the physical edition after you skip by the interior ad cover for Cracker Jacks, You get, again, a lovely Sienkiewicz splash page, which is fucking gorgeous, again. His scratchy, like, tons of tiny, short, sort of slightly random lines, the way that, um, and and his peculiar method of, like, drawing faces sometimes in this holy graphic style where there's only the two tones of, like, white and black, and... Like, it's all here. Yeah, we have the woman's upper half of her face fading into, like, the black of the night. And it's very shroud-like, covering the bottom of her nose and her lips. Like, we only get her eyes and, like, forehead. And then, like, an evocative hand blending into the black of the night with a deep blood-red moon and... Sienkiewicz scratchy line work style of what well, I'll just quote the narration a neighborhood in the South Bronx and it's just like these buildings and these like laundry lines of just like rows and rows of just like shirts hanging things like that and it just looks really fucking good you know and once we get into the actual action we are essentially treated to this mafia boss meeting in which Scarlet enters, but we don't see her. 
we specifically get like this crossbow aiming at the mafia men and we can't see scarlet holding it we just see like her implied presence as like an encroaching danger upon these men yeah these men are also like all dudes in suits smoking cigars in what's probably an italian restaurant like they're very clearly mafiosos of some kind like they just they feel criminal because they look like they're exactly out of a gangster movie yeah like specifically like white rich men in suit like you just imagine them being douchebaggy and bad to their wives etc etc a lot thematically is going to be about just like them being the type of criminal that like quote unquote keeps their hands clean the sort of upper upper head boss who delegates everything else and someone else puts the horse's head in the guy's bed I don't get that reference. That I is Godfather. Never seen it. You should. Is is the highly popular movie good? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, not, not to sound like a fucking Ken, it's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, yeah. She takes these guys out. It's all dramatic. She's never anything more than a shadow against the red of her blood spilling and she does this calling card at the end of her murders here and then later where she uses lipstick to draw a diamond with an S in it. And the characters talk about it being reminiscent of Zorro. Because it's an S, every time I see it, I think of it as her leaving her Superman logo at her. Well, it's S in a diamond as well. It's very super. I, I need to say before we move on from the murders, though. The blood spilling out of the guy's head, forming the title of the comic, which is Scarlet Moonlight, rules. Brilliant. Love that. I love whenever a title is incorporated in like that. And this is one of my favorites that I've seen in a while. It's Sienkiewicz going all out, yeah. And then just like, the art just rules. Every detail here rules, like... A great drawing of the Flatiron building. With, again, just, like, those beautiful halftone dots, like, gradually making the shift from black to white as the image sort of, you know, moves from top to bottom. We get a very, again, just, like, Moon Knight as silhouettes where his cape is just this white blob with all blackness beneath him and there's just like the white of the logo and the eye slits he's very geometrically simple in a way that feels ghost-like phantasmal works for the character and basically moon knight is gliding by there's narration essentially acknowledging that this is a year after the events of the prior issue so not only is time happening in a Marvel comic, but it's moving pretty in concert with reality. Well, isn't this, like, this is this era of Marvel is the last gasp of Marvel time. Yeah. This is where it hits, uh, because this is where Franklin Richards starts compressing everything. Which remains my headcanon. Yeah. That little shit doesn't want Spider-Man to grow up. Yeah. But Moon Knight sees the commotion because just thinking about the anniversary of the past issue's events, he's in town. He sees a waiter from the restaurant, like, running out, frantic, having witnessed the murders. And he then also sees a figure robed in an all-scarlet robe running away. And though she gets away... By the voice and the movements, Moon Knight deduces that this is a scarlet-clad woman. And we get sort of, to go back to Moon Knight as Batman, sort of an obligatory brief scene of Moon Knight talking to the would-be Commissioner Gordon about the murder as it's just happened. And 
the cop just sort of gives the bare details of what the cops know, and Moon Knight is just, like, muttering to himself in this ward bubble of, like, stitched lines, like, the short sort of, like, dashes with the white between, you know, to, like, indicate just, like, lower volume mutters about Scarlet, Stained Glass Scarlet, Scarlet Fascinera, Lady of Sorrow and Darkness, which is very moody and also funny to picture someone actually saying aloud. Moonlight seems like the kind of guy where he shows up somewhere and then, like, five minutes later, everyone is just sort of side-glancing him, like, okay, I'm just gonna step a little further away now. (laughs) And that's exactly (laughs) it. And, like, Moon Knight is the one man where it's, like, your character is that you would be the one to act this way. (laughs) Like, a lot of the Bendis Maliv run is just characters side-eyeing him, like, what the fuck is up with him? Uh, god, I'm trying to remember, I can't remember which, like, event comic it is, but there's one event comic where Moon Knight is standing next to Spider-Man, and is like, I don't normally come to these, who do I punch to Spider-Man? And Spider-Man's like, probably that person over there. <laughs> Spider-Man who... In the Malieve run, the whole thing that Moon Knight is, like, having hallucinations of Captain America, Wolverine, and Spider-Man giving him his missions and, like, talking to him. And then, like, of them fighting alongside him, except he's, like, retrofitted his own web shooters and, like, Wolverine claws and a pseudo-Captain America shield that he can use when he mentally thinks he's them. Huh. I need to read Moon Knight, apparently. Like, more than I already did. Moon Knight comics are really good. Bendis Maleev also did Daredevil, and those Daredevil comics are also really good. Uh Uh-huh. We'll be talking about them one day on this podcast. Yeah. Finding three issues, or a couple issues of that run to cover is going to be really fucking hard, though. Yeah. But back in the present of 1982, Mm. you know, Moon Knight talks at the cop for a minute before disappearing and the cop's just like weird guy before going back to his bag of potato chips and moon knight makes his way back to the old church where essentially is just able to find a sort of intentionally left clue to then make his way to where scarlet is now at bronx memorial cemetery where she has come and is just being broody and gothic in front of her late husband's funeral marker. Oh, her sons. It's Joseph. Oh, this is her sons. You're right. Um, yes, it's a Joe's funeral marker, which has had the words, the sins of the father, dot, 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 engraved on it, which feels, not that I'm saying he didn't deserve it because he was a piece of shit, But the whole idea of a gravestone being sort of memorial and commemorative, this is a really shady and rude thing to have as someone's last testament. Could have been like, um, I mean, they could have just lied on it, frankly. Could have just left it blank would have probably been the kindest thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For this asshole, but essentially... Ah, yeah, here's the panel I was really thinking of when we talk about how expressive Moon Knight's mask can get. Because that's an entire face. Oh, yeah. I see this man's cheekbones. So what he's done is he's breathed in really hard so she can see his expression better. He's like, and sucked the mask in onto his face as much as he can. I can see this bitch's eyelid. Between panels, he's, like, coughing a bit because he's, like having to get some air back yeah it's just again this lovely sort of talking scene between moon knight and scarlet where she's sort of being the main driver of conversation and is essentially explaining to him that she has become another example of the super villain who is killing horrible people for all the right reasons To the point where reading it, I'm just like, yeah, you should do that. And Moon Knight has the obligatory sort of like, 
superhero moral quandary of, but you'll still be a murderer. You know, they have a bit of discussion about, like, if a crossbow was really any better than a gun, if you're still just using it to kill people, etc., etc. More talk about how these mafia scum are scum, and it's really good. It's just more really heightened melodrama illustrated by Bill Sienkiewicz with really beautiful inking and... I love the mirrored layouts of layout of this page where um, you have this gust of wind blowing these leaves that is like this through line through the panels and there's uh, four panels with like thick black lines then two panels with no outlines at all just left on the bare page at opposite corners and the like visual line between them is the the flow of the leaves in the wind and the visual opposition where each like set of three panels in each column has either moon knight or scarlet it doesn't alternate or anything like that it's it's very specific like here's moon knight side and here's scarlet side and the mirroring of the two characters it's very very cool yeah like moon knight on the left and scarlet on the right and like all the little details of you know like there's the leaves that sort of do the from top right to bottom left between the two like non-outlined panels but we also get just like each thing so well leads to the next of just like the little wind lines etc the effect is also that the like hard black outline panels end up looking like a tetris piece across the page or if you turn it slightly diagonally, an S made out of diamonds. I would have literally never thought of that if you had not pointed it out, but yeah. Well, I, I also like that Sienkiewicz opens, uh, so each column, as I said, has each character, and then the opposing corners have, so like, the first panel of Moon Knight is a close of Moon Knight's face, and then a medium shot of Moon Knight from about the waist up, and then the wide shot of Moon Knight with the leaves. And with Scarlet, it, oh, we open wide, and we go in closer at the same rate. Perfect opposites again. And even thematically, too, it also just, the order makes sense, too, in terms of, like, Moon Knight is at his most close-up when he sort of asks the question, and then fades more into the background as Scarlet just continues to explain herself and comes to the forefront as just, again, the driving force of this narrative because Moon Knight watches and Scarlet is incredible. I also have to really shout out the next page where, like, she explains that the guys that she killed were high-level like mob bosses who were never going to get caught. And we have this, like, amazing... Uh, set of two panels where the same image of the uh, mob boss is flipped and then inverted and to like a photo negative where like white is black and all the colors are the opposite values and this is done in 1982 isn't it before they could have done this digitally at all and Sienkiewicz has you know, worked so hard to ink the opposite lines so that where the where he didn't have lines before is now pure black and all the cross hatching is in the same places but like opposite and then the colorist has had to be really careful with the colors they've chosen to give like to make that visual choice land. It's so cool. From a labor perspective it's insane. It's so insane. Like, the amount of effort that goes into this half of a page, and also every other half of every page, is just... This was monthly, somehow. Yeah, I don't fucking know. Yeah, just like a lot more of, you know, Scarlet justifying herself, talking about the crime, and essentially Scarlet tells Moon Knight that this one specific mob boss she is going to be taking out tonight and she asks him 
before you try to stop me, think about what I've said and think about it hard. Who would you rather have walking the streets, me or Manny Sindone? And there's the moral question of the issue summed up for Moon Knight in terms of should he be a watcher? Should he try to stop her? Who should he try to stop? And it's this beautiful color transition in the scene as the sun is coming up and we get this really lovely hot pink of the sky rising up out of the mist and it's just very evocative in terms of depicting what's literally happening and just brings all of these you know dark serious questions into the literal daylight as Moon Knight will spend the rest of the issue sort of thinking about what way his moral compass should be pointing. He goes home briefly to Marlene and Frenchie, who, I can't stress enough, looks exactly what a character named Frenchie sounds like he looks like. And he has the sort of, like, talk it out with Marlene of, what if you could stop something bad from happening? But what if the bad thing was happening to a bad person, etc.? And... As he's doing this sort of either-or, Marlene asks him, why settle for either? And he's going to try and reject the philosophy of this, like, imposed dichotomy of options and try to find a right action on his own. More panel mirroring where, like, the silhouette of the crossbow and the silhouette of the, uh, the moon copter are, uh explicitly compared like i the the amount of like layout work that's gone into this the thought and how to lay out pages to push the story forward and to visually represent the themes of the story is shocking and again this is it's not like the last issue was bad at all but it was very like typical of the era in terms of the way it was laid out and in this issue less than a year later you know, it's it's night and day, just the amount of thought that's gone into just laying out the panels of this story. It's the difference between a good artist where you read the issue and you appreciate it and you think they have a lot of talent and an issue where you read it and you go, this is an icon of the industry. This is someone who deservedly has built a godlike reputation in terms of both skill and distinction and style and just like you know it's the difference between someone who is reliably good and someone who ascends to a level beyond yeah we like bill sinkevich next x-men month we are covering some new mutants sure <laughs> but yeah again like Thank you for pointing out the note of, like, the crossbow versus the moon glider and, like, shape and orientation here in these panels. It's the tools. Yeah, they are the tools of what they're doing. And from this lens, too, like, part of what the cop scene earlier is doing is just, like, calling into or, like, bringing to mind, to the front of mind, that Moon Knight is also a vigilante who, for all of what he's doing, is also acting outside of the law. So just drawing the parallels between these two as non-legally sanctioned, but bringers of justice and or at least people striving to be that, etc., etc. And then we skip forward a bit in time. The night has come, Scarlet's shown up, and Moon Knight's gonna try and stop her from sneaking in to... This building that is heavily guarded because the Mafia have realized that they need to be on fucking guard from this crazy bitch in red. And they catch some of the guards' attention. And Smart Scarlet, Scarlet of woe and melodrama and loss. And having gone from being the victim to using men as her tools and her, like, religiously fervent mission is like oh you don't want to let me kill the guards moon knight that's fine i'll let them attack you and while you're fighting them and taking a longer time because you're trying not to kill them i'm gonna sneak on ahead of you it's great 
naturally we get her making her way through taking down the guards until she reaches just like the mafia dawn and she decides i'm gonna get real melodramatic with it and you grazed my shoulder with a bullet wound while i'm gonna draw my superman logo in blood for the police <laughs> to see when they get here and at that point the mafia don whips out his own gun and moon knight comes in just in time to see the mafia don gun drawn and scarlet bow drawn and he screams freeze and the narration goes but they won't either of them not for long and moon knight knows it he's too late and it'll happen fast too bloody fast both hearts targeted and only a split second in which to choose which will it be avenging angel or corrupt devil gun or crossbow so despite moon knight's endeavor to find a third way he is once again forced into a two option choice you know he finds himself like crammed into this dichotomy again in terms of just like having to not be an observer and having to be an actor with these two choices in the situation where he did not want to find himself and naturally scarlet is the lesser of two evils so he uses his moon dart to send the gun flying out of the mafia don's hand and as he does this scarlet shoots her crossbow into the man's chest killing him it's great you have anything did i speed by too fast <laughs> just some of the panels are really great i love the uh close-up of scarlet's eye with the reflection of the mob boss in it like who fucking thinks to do that that's great but yeah i mean this is great this is really fucking good yeah scarlet wounded leaps out of the window and moon knight again is faced with a choice of whether to just let her go away or chase after and he chases her over to some train tracks where there is the sound of a train on coming soon and bleeding tired unable to resist him and what he's gonna do scarlet tells him it's up to you now moon knight you and your truncheon but remember sooner or later i'd only wake up and when he throws it it misses her and we're getting as they're like this stuff is happening largely on the left hand of the page in the right column we get these panels of just train lights coming closer and closer and a shot of scarlet i'm trying to be specific in how i phrase what we literally see because the final two panels the second last is her jumping from the side descending downward but still above the train and then the panel after that is some time has passed and moon knight is standing where this all has happened is the train has now passed and is barely visible in the background as it chugs its way along and yeah we get the vision of scarlet jumping toward a train i will say well she's jumping onto it and escaping yeah it's just like yes but also just like i love the i don't know at least the way i read it there's also just sort of this invocation of imagery that's ambiguous enough to sort of have a question of suicide at the same time do you know what i mean like jumping into the train's path as opposed to onto it well i mean i'd agree except she says that um like right before she does this you know her point about how if he knocks her out with her with his truncheon she'll only wake up and just resume what she's doing so what's the point in him even going after her because like she's arguing that his methods that don't involve killing don't stop people from committing these crimes um like earlier when she's going to crossbow one of the guards and moon knight tries to stop her she says oh but he'll only wake up if you knock him out you'll still have to fight him again later anyway 
if I just kill him, you won't have to. So I, I, the implication to me here was pretty clearly that she's using the train as an escape route. Fair, yeah, and like that is how I read it too. But I think just like the specifics of like how we don't see her actual landing, just like that little added air of what's literally between panels you know the event we don't see just is very fitting in terms of the melodrama of the story and death just always clinging about let me see scarlet stained glass scarlet scarlet fascinera lady of sorrow and darkness but yeah moon knight's just left standing there like i can never have an easy day yeah what the fuck am i supposed to do now yeah there's a cold-blooded killer on the loose and she's not even doing that much wrong what do i do with that but yeah that's stained glass scarlet i think she's great on the whole i think this was a successful first moon knight exposure for you oh yeah yeah it's great what are you making me read next week well I said I'd do this last year, and then we didn't wind up having any episodes in December, I don't think. But this year, we are doing it. We're going to be covering Klaus for Christmas by Grant Morrison and Dan Mora. Is it specifically just, like, the first, like, volume one or whatever? Yeah, the first volume one, the first chunk of Klaus. The thing that you're going to get. Uh, it, it's not what the animated movie is based on. Okay. Uh, I'm double-checking for issue numbers. One through seven. Okay. We'll just, like, lightly talk about all of it, I guess. It's it's difficult to pull a... It's a mini-series, so it's difficult to pull, like, a couple chunks of it. So we'll just talk about the whole thing generally. That's fine, yeah. I like Dan Mora. We've never done Dan Mora. And I don't think we've... I don't believe we've talked about Grant Morrison since Final Crisis. No. No, I, no. It's been a bit... It's been too long. Well... There you all go. We are getting Christmassy. In the meantime, thank you all for listening and bye. Be excellent to each other.